Welcome to Diabetes Deconstructed, a podcast for people interested in learning more about diabetes. I'm your host, Dr. Rita Kalyani at Johns Hopkins. We developed this podcast as a companion to our patient guide to diabetes website. If you want a trusted and easy to understand resource for diabetes or to listen to previous podcasts, please visit hopkinsdiabetesinfo.org. Today, we are thrilled to welcome Dr. Stanley Chen Cardenas, who will be speaking with us on today's special edition podcast for World Diabetes Day, with a special focus on diabetes in Latin America. In honor of World Diabetes Day, Dr. Cardenas will respond to questions in both English and Spanish, and we are thrilled to have our first bilingual podcast today. Dr. Chen Cardenas is an assistant professor of medicine in the Division of Endocrinology, Diabetes, and Metabolism at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. He was born in Panama, obtained his medical degree at the University of Panama, where he became interested in endocrinology and basic translational research. This led him to migrate to the United States. He initially worked in an immunology lab in Panama, then at the Jocelyn Diabetes Center of Harvard Medical School, where he studied microRNAs as biomarkers in beta cell destruction in type 1 diabetes. He continued his training in Baltimore at Sinai Hospital, where he served as chief resident, and then an endocrinology fellowship at Johns Hopkins University. Relevant for this podcast, as an endocrinologist, he spent two years working in Latin America, more specifically in Panama, both in the public and private healthcare system. We are thrilled thrilled to have you here today, Dr. Chen Cardenas. Thank you, Dr. Kalyani, for that kind introduction. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, we are so excited to hear from you in both English and Spanish today about some important points related to the global prevalence of diabetes focused on Latin America, and also about factors that might be different for us to consider in, in managing diabetes or thinking about diabetes in these other countries. I wondered if you could first start off by telling us what is diabetes? Diabetes, it's a group of disorders that are basically characterized by high blood sugar or hyperglycemia, which could be the consequence of problems with insulin production or secretion or uh, insulin action or a combination of both. To answer this question in Spanish, I would say la diabetes es un grupo de enfermedades metabólicas que tienen en común la, el aumento del nivel de azúcar en la sangre, y eso se debe a que el páncreas no produce suficiente insulina o la insulina no puede ejercer su acción o una combinación de ambas de ambas procesos. Why is it important for us to diagnose diabetes? What are the complications that we should be aware of? That is a very important question because diabetes can lead to complications in the long term, and many of them are associated with vascular or damage in the blood vessels. For example, damage to the retina or the eye, which can lead to loss of vision, damage to the kidneys, which can lead to renal failure, or damage to the nerves that can lead to many complications such as with ulcers, amputations, and among others, there are so many other complications that are derived from diabetes. In, in Spanish, diabetes es importante tratarla porque puede llevar a complicaciones a largo plazo. Entre esas están el daño a la visión, a los ojos, eh, puede dañar el riñón y, y terminar en, en falla del riñón. Puede causar problemas con los nervios y causar neuropatía, úlceras y amputaciones. I'd like to go back to the question also that to mention that cardiovascular disease are big problem where diabetes is a major risk factor. Y quiero decirlo en español también, donde eh, la diabetes puede llevar a enfermedades cardiovasculares y es muy importante tratarla. That is 
So true. Cardiovascular disease in particular can affect people of any background, any country. And we know that it is the primary cause of morbidity and mortality in, in people with diabetes. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the epidemiology of diabetes in the United States to start off with. How many people in the U.S. have diabetes and who are they? Sure, that, that's that's a, a, a really important question also to have an idea of how, how that's the scope of the problem. Data from the American Diabetes Association from 2019 reported that approximately 37.3% million Americans had diabetes, which is roughly 11.3% of the population with diabetes. En, en los Estados Unidos, aproximadamente 37.3 millones de personas sufrían de diabetes eh, según las estadísticas en el 2019 y eso es equivalente a 11.3% de la población eh, o uno de cada 10. And we know that diabetes continues to grow in terms of the numbers of people with diabetes in the United States. How common is diabetes among different racial and ethnic groups? Right. That, that, that's, I agree with, with you, uh, Dr. Caliani. Um, so the, the distribution of diabetes, it, it, it depends from, from, from the studies, but fr from the data that we know from the American Diabetes Association, that about 14.5% of American Indians uh, have diabetes, 12.1% of non-Hispanic Blacks, about 11.8% of Hispanics, and 9.5% of Asian Americans and 7.4% of non-Hispanic whites are, suffer from diabetes. In Spanish, aproximadamente 14.5% de American Indians o Indios Americanos, 12.1% Hispanos no, afro, no, no, no Negros o Afroamericanos, 11.8% de Hispanos y 9.5% de um, Asiáticos americanos y 7.4% de, de blancos no hispanos sufren de diabetes. That's so interesting to hear about the different risks of diabetes in different racial and ethnic groups. How does the prevalence compare for Hispanic versus non-Hispanic whites in the United States? In general, in, for non-Hispanics in the U.S., the prevalence is, is higher than Hispanics in the U, in the in the U.S. En español sería eh, para no para no hispanos en los Estados Unidos es mayor que para hispanos eh, la, la prevalencia. But so interesting to hear that the rates and the risk of diabetes is different by racial and ethnic groups and that there may be specific groups at higher risk for complications. You know, I was intrigued by this statistic from the Office of Minority Health that said in 2018, Hispanics were 1.3 times more likely than non-Hispanic whites to die from diabetes. Hispanic adults were also 70% more likely than non-Hispanic white adults to be diagnosed with diabetes by a physician. I was wondering, Dr. Chen Cardenas, do those statistics surprise you? And why do you think this might be? I, I think it's probably multifactorial. I think that the depends on the access to healthcare is one important problem that, that sometimes is seen in this population. The ability to access healthy food or, or ability to make healthy choices. I think those are things that, that also influence. And of course, there is a genetic background in that statistics, perhaps. 
para responder en español, eh, el problema quizás es, es hay múltiples razones. Hay pro, probablemente el acceso a salud, el acceso a, a, a comidas saludables o alimentos saludables, las, las elecciones que hacen los pacientes y también probablemente hay un, un componente genético también que, que predispone a, a ese riesgo adicional. It sounds like there's many factors that might contribute, but really behooves us to focus on uh, addressing those factors to reduce the burden of the complications, particularly in high-risk groups such as Hispanic Americans. Moving on to Latin America, which is much broader but related, first of all, could you tell us what do we mean when we say Latin America? So the concept Latin America is really a concept that includes countries that predominantly speak language derived from the Latin meaning Spanish, Portuguese, and French. And it's an interesting concept because it includes about 20 to 33 countries, depending on whether you include the Caribbean or not. Within this country, there are probably about more than about 600 million people. So, so it, is, it is a large group of, of, of people. And in, in Espanol, Latinoamérica es un concepto que involucra un grupo de países que hablan predominantemente el idiomas derivados del español, portugués y francés, y con, incluye de alrededor de 20 a 33 países, eh, si el Caribe es, es incluido, y eh, en este grupo de países viven más de 600 millones de personas, que, que hay, hay un grupo heterogéneo de, 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 de personas. I think the terminology can be confusing sometimes and might mean different things to different people. But I think the general sense that there might be some common factors among these countries, whether it's in language or, or culture, or even risk of chronic diseases is important. Could you tell us a little bit about the epidemiology of diabetes in, in Latin American countries compared to other countries in the world? Latin America have different regions from Central America, South America, the Caribbean, and really the, the prevalence of diabetes, it's different and varies in each region and within countries of the region. Primero, para traducir eso, Latinoamérica incluye, como mencioné, la Centroamérica, Suramérica y el Caribe. Dentro de Centroamérica existen múltiples países, y al igual que en cada región, y las prevalencias varían de acuerdo a los, a los, a los países. If I go back to some of the countries with, with the highest prevalence of diabetes, for, for instance, in Central America, uh, Mexico, Nicaragua, and Costa Rica are the, the three countries that most frequently uh, remain as the, the ones with the highest. And of course, this, this prevalence can vary depending on, on, on the studies, but these are the three countries in the Central American region. In South America, Chile, Venezuela, and Uruguay have the higher, highest prevalence of um, diabetes. And in the Caribbean, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, and Haiti are the ones with the highest prevalence. En español, eh, la, los países de Centroamérica que mantienen eh, las más altas pre prevalencias de diabetes incluyen México, Nicaragua y Costa Rica. Eh, en América del Sur, eh, Chile, Venezuela y Uruguay. Y en el Caribe, Puerto Rico, la República Dominicana y Haití. One point that I have to make it there's some regions in in the in Latin America where there's very little data and we don't really know what's the prevalence in some regions. Y hay áreas que no se sabe muy bien cuántos cuál es la prevalencia, pero hay hay datos limitados. That's so interesting and important to note that within Central America and South America and the Caribbean that there are differences by country 
Not all countries are the same. And really points to understanding what are the unique factors that might contribute to those country by country differences. What about in Panama, where you're from? How does diabetes in Panama compare to other parts of Latin America? That is a very important, interesting question. In Panama, the prevalence of diabetes in adults is about 8.2%. And it's not the highest, but it's on the, on the high end. And it's unfortunately been increasing over the, the years, along with the increased prevalence of obesity, which is you know, the major, a major risk factor for type 2 diabetes. In Panama, la prevalencia de diabetes es alrededor es 8.2% en adulto y este número ha ido incrementando en los últimos años eh, junto con la prevalencia de obesidad. So that's interesting. You know, in the United States, the prevalence by the most recent estimates is around 11% for diabetes. Do you think that in other countries such as Panama or the countries that you mentioned where we don't have enough data that we might actually be underestimating the prevalence. How reliable is the data do you think that we have? That's a, that's a good question, Dr. Caliani, because being in Panama, I know the difference between the countryside and the city. And when you do studies trying to look for prevalence or doing surveys, you find differences in the city. And it's very hard to just reach some places in the countryside. So that creates uh, some heterogeneity and lack um, some lack of data. So we can only estimate. En, en español, lo que la, la pregunta de la doctora Caliani eh, sobre cómo eh, sobre la prevalencia y la, la diabetes en, en Panamá, por ejemplo, los datos de la ciudad no son iguales a los datos de las partes más alejadas del interior, donde no, no, no siempre se puede llegar a, a obtener la información y lo que se hacen son estimaciones de, de, de prevalencia de, de, de la información. It makes sense that it could be hard to reach people who might not be as digitally connected or accessible by road in, on, on the countryside. Talking a little bit about differences in, in diabetes in big urban centers versus rural populations. I wonder if you could talk about what kind of differences you may have seen in Panama and in general, what kind of differences in diabetes rates and complications have been noted. Within Panama, it seems that give us the impression, and I said give us the impression because we don't have all the data, but it seems like in the city there's a higher prevalence of diabetes, and I'm referring particularly to type 2 diabetes, whereas in the countryside there is an interesting, there's an interesting phenomenon where you are having the issue of undernutrition and obesity at the same time. And these have been described in different countries across the, the, the Latin American community, like Mexico, Chile. They have many of them that are struggling with undernutrition and obesity at the same time, which, as we mentioned earlier, is a risk factor for type 2 diabetes. La, la, la pregunta es de cómo es la, la diferencia entre regiones urbanas y rurales. Y en regiones urbanas eh, nos impresiona que la prevalencia es mucho y comparado con el, el countryside o con el interior del, del, de los países. Y en el interior del país se observa un fenómeno que involucra eh, desnutrición y a la vez se puede observar obesidad, ambos coexistiendo en las mismas regiones. Y esto se ha descrito en otros países como México, Venezuela, Chile, donde los gobiernos y, y, y los médicos tienen que lidiar con eh, desnutrición y obesidad al mismo tiempo que, como sabemos, es un factor de riesgo para diabetes tipo 2. I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's very true that in many parts of the world, 
Whereas in the United States, obesity is related to higher risk of type 2 diabetes. That may not be the case in all countries of the world, that the opposite, undernutrition as well, and really lack of resources for food, which encourages processed foods or high density foods, might also increase the risk of diabetes. Why do you think both obesity and undernutrition are, are observed in Latin American countries in relation to diabetes risk? To, to what extent undernutrition is related to diabetes risk in our countries? I'm not entirely sure about that part. Obesity, as occurs in, in developed countries, it is associated with, with, with the prevalence, with increased prevalence of, of diabetes. So I don't, as, as I said, not sure about undernutrition and diabetes, but we do see that that because of the lack of access to, to food, and this is seen in many native communities where they don't have food as, a, as available as in the city, you can see that the tendency for undernutrition. En, en español, la, la pregunta de por qué la, la desnutrición y la obesidad están vinculadas a la diabetes tipo 2 Sabemos que la obesidad está asociada a diabetes tipo 2, sin embargo la desnutrición no, no tenemos datos que apoyen que, que esté asociada a la desnutrición, pero es un problema con el que enfrentamos eh, en nuestros países, de la, tanto la coexistencia de desnutrición y obesidad. Part, another part of this, the, this question that is, I think it's, it's a reality in our countries is that sometimes it's hard to, to provide a, appropriate nutrition because the the, the 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 kind of food that is available to low socioeconomic status is not the healthiest one so and that creates problems with nutrition or malnutrition entonces algo un punto que quiero agregar es que a veces la comida que está disponible para para más disponible desde el punto de vista de, de económica para 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 familias de bajo ingreso es que es no es saludable entonces eso hace que haya más problemas de malnutrición o obesidad en, 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 en bajos en familias con bajos recursos. Yeah, that's so true that diet quality also matters. And sometimes the foods that are inexpensive are the foods that are not as healthy, right? Correct. Whereas the healthier foods such as fresh vegetables, fresh fruits might not be affordable to those with limited means. I think that in some countries in the world, diabetes has been described as a disease of affluence, almost associated with those who can afford to eat, who may be of larger size and may be more likely to develop diabetes. Whereas in other parts of the world, it may be more related to those who don't have the financial means and, and may have low lower socioeconomic status. What have you seen in Panama when you were there? What's been described in Latin America? Is diabetes more common in those of higher socioeconomic groups or usually lower socioeconomic groups? I've seen it both, Dr. Kalyani, in higher and lower. And in, in part is in, in, in some of the cultures in some regions of our countries, you know, being not necessarily extremely, but obese, sometimes it's a sign of wealth. You're wealthy if you, you know, you have a big belly. So if the kitty seems to be well-nourished, it's a sign of you're wealthy. Fortunately, that's been changing with more education. And I think that's, that's positive too, that the population is trying to understand better the implications of, of nutrition. En español la pregunta es, ¿dónde se observa más diabetes en clases altas o clases bajas? La verdad, se lo he observado en ambos grupos. 
tanto en altos como en bajos, y todavía existe la creencia de que en niños o en adultos que están gorditos o están bien, eso es un signo de, de prosperidad o de, o de buena salud, y no es así. Gracias a la educación hemos podido también eh, educar a la población y presentarles que no necesariamente, no es, eso no es cierto, que, que hay que mantener un peso saludable. It definitely something to think about in terms of how environmental influences and lifestyle influences can differentially impact the risk of diabetes in different countries. Having practiced in Panama and also now having practiced in the United States, what are some differences you've seen in terms of access to resources for your patients with diabetes in both countries and perhaps differences in the way that diabetes is viewed culturally in terms of being able to effectively manage the disease. There are multiple differences and multiple aspects of diabetes comparing the United States and at least Panama and some of the Latin American countries that share some of the Panamanian type of culture. In the public settings, because many countries in Latin America have a public healthcare and a private healthcare. In the public, generally what we see, we have some limited resources and we don't have all the most recent or newer medications. So we have very limited resource often. So that's one difference in terms of the private people can pay for their medications and pay out of pocket sometimes for their medications. It's interesting how the pricing changes between countries, the US and other countries in Latin America. That's, that's very interesting. La, la primera parte de la pregunta es, ¿cómo es dif diferente la diabetes en Panamá y en países como la, eh, Estados Unidos y comparado con Latinoamérica? Eh, es importante resaltar que, que hay diferencias en las formas de los sistemas de salud, tanto en Latinoamérica como en Estados Unidos. En muchos países latinoamericanos, el sistema público cubre la, mucho de, los, de la salud, pero no hay todos los medicamentos ni hay acceso a todos los más nuevos medicamentos más nuevos. Y en la parte privada es interesante ver cómo la diferencia de precios entre los medicamentos de países de Latinoamérica y los mismos medicamentos en los Estados Unidos. To continue answering the question, the second part is the patient population. It, it's different. So in in some and depending on the literacy, some patients in Latin America don't have a lot of education, so they follow whatever the doctor says. And some in the U.S. you find more of a patient physician interaction. It is not as unidirectional. So you have both people contribute what the things that they're willing to do to treat their diabetes. So in my experience in Panama, for instance, in the countryside, people will do whatever the doctor said. And in one way that makes the job easier for the doctor, but at the same time, I think that patients should have also an opinion about things that they're willing to do to make their disease more manageable. In our countries, Latin Americans, many times, no questionan a nuestro a los a los médicos y hacen lo que el doctor le dice. Y en Estados Unidos es más una relación de de dos partes donde el paciente tiene su opinión y el médico le 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 da su opinión y llegan a un acuerdo. Y eso no es eso eso tiene sus variaciones en en Latinoamérica. Pero es bueno también que paciente tenga una opinión para para que podamos trabajar en grupo así que son las, algunas de las diferencias que se observan It's so interesting to hear of the different interactions between people with diabetes and their providers in different parts of the world and also within the same country, how different it can be. You know, in some cultures, diabetes 
might be something that you just expect to have happen given your family history or I've encountered instances when visiting other countries where it may be described as a touch of sugar or might just be something that is in the common language because it, it is something that you see so often. When you were in Panama, what was the impression that you had of how diabetes kind of fit into the daily culture, if you will, or the daily language? Is it something that people were familiar with or is it something that people felt was very, for lack of a better word, not sure how to approach it, something that was unexpected. People were very aware of the disease and many of them were terrified of having diabetes because they feel that the moment they have diabetes, they cannot eat the things they like anymore and they will have amputations and all the complications that we described. Not infrequently, it runs in the family and not infrequently, you will see that first degree relatives had died from a heart attack, have had a stroke and everything happened after they were diagnosed with diabetes. So people, in my experience, a lot of people were very scared of that diagnosis, almost as saying you have some form of cancer. That was good in in a way because people were very conscious about their disease, but at the same time creates extra anxiety, that perception of of the disease, which we know that if we treat it and if we do the, the right things with the medications, with our lifestyle, it can be controlled. En español, la pregunta de cómo percibían las personas la diabetes, muchos la percibían como una, un diagnóstico que les cambiaba la que y, y estaban muy asustados de las complicaciones, las amputaciones o los problemas que vienen ligados a ese diagnóstico. Y no era infrecuente ver familias que los papás, los, 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 los familiares habían tenido infartos o enfermedades de stroke o derrame, como se llama, eh, a, luego del diagnóstico de diabetes y estaba, tenían temor. Lo que nos ayudaba a poder hacerlos más conscientes de la enfermedad y eran más conscientes de la enfermedad pero a la vez creaba ansiedad hoy sabemos que si manejamos la, la, el azúcar de los pacientes eh, es posible controlar y evitar las complicaciones con unos buenos cambios en el estilo de vida y, y, y los medicamentos apropiados Thanks for mentioning that aspect of fear or terror, because I think that even within the United States that happens, but particularly I would think in populations where you might have seen more of the late stage complications, such as amputations, like you mentioned, or had family members who had kidney problems or been on dialysis or gone blind from diabetes, that there would be more of this anxiety or fear of the diagnosis. Having traveled to the Caribbean many years ago, especially we had a program in in Trinidad looking at diabetes. And one of the things that struck me was the fear in men of erectile dysfunction, the stigma of not wanting to talk about the fact that they had diabetes because it was connected to this potential complication. Did you encounter similar fears of not wanting to talk about having diabetes when you were in Panama? Yeah, that's a very interesting point. It is not very common as an endocrinologist to have a consult for low testosterone or like you mentioned, erectile dysfunction. It's not something that has been linked yet in our society as diabetes as a risk factor for one of those complications in terms of reproduction. And we know now that diabetes is linked to many other complications, low bone density, dementia, and these are been more recently described, but it's not in, in, in the minds of our patients. So I think that, you know, raising some awareness also could be a, a good thing. But no, I, I it's it's interesting because I never had one person coming for that specific reason. But I, I did notice that some patients came just to prevent. So, so people came in without diabetes, without even pre-diabetes, 
willing to seek guidance on how to prevent it, which I think it's it's also a good idea to be aware that you have risk factors and you would like to work on before developing diabetes. En español, eh, la pregunta que si he recibido eh, pacientes con problemas, por ejemplo, de disfunción eréctil asociado a diabetes y, y este tipo de problemas, y pues no encontré en mi experiencia durante el tiempo en Panamá que eh, los pacientes vinculaban la diabetes con estos problemas, y pues sí, eh, es cierto que en los últimos años se han asociado más complicaciones de, vinculadas a diabetes, como demencia, como otros trastornos y pues eh, es bueno que los pacientes estén conscientes que todos estos son complicaciones asociadas al azúcar no controlado. Recognizing that countries within Latin America will have their differences. Nonetheless, I wonder, you talked about prevention, and I wonder if we could talk a little bit about prevention strategies in Latin American countries, and particularly the diet and lifestyle behaviors that might uniquely contribute to different rates of diabetes in Latin American countries, and what, in your opinion, should be done in terms of prevention of diabetes in these countries, having practiced there yourself. Latin America, it's diet in the sense that high carbohydrate, it's common in all the meals throughout the day. As an example, rice, white rice is very fundamental part of all, pretty much all the meals except for breakfast in Panama. But I know that other Latin American countries, even for breakfast, eat white rice. Fried food, fried plantains, fried vegetables are very common in breakfast, lunch, or dinner. People can have a plate that includes pasta with macaroni, with white rice, with plantains. So you have three carbohydrates in the same plate and that's multiple times a week. So the amount of carbohydrates that are included in our diets is high. Our traditional diet is sometimes is probably not the best. That's one one challenge that we face with regards to lifestyle. You know, in many parts, this has changed a little bit over the last few decades. Going to exercise as a healthier measure was not part of our Latin American thought process. We were more practicing sports or just walking, but we were not thinking about preventing disease when we walk. And that's how evolved a little bit. And again, this could be different from different, different countries, but that's what I, I, still, I still see. And with regards, what can we do to help or prevent diabetes in our population? I think that everything starts from education and it has to be done very early in, in life. I would say even in school, how to avoid an unhealthy food how to maintain active or good lifestyle. I think those are the most impactful things in the future to prevent the trends because the trends are not good in terms of the prevalence of diabetes seems to be going up only. And unless we educate our population, I think that's the only thing that could really make the change. Eh, la pregunta es, ¿qué es característico de nuestra dieta, nuestra, eh, nuestro estilo de vida eh, en Latinoamérica y qué se puede hacer para, para prevenir complicaciones pre o, o ayudar para prevenir la diabetes? Eh, nuestra dieta es alta en carbohidratos, comemos plátanos, comemos yucas, comemos arroz blanco, comemos muchas veces al día, estamos muy expuestos a carbohidratos, entonces eso es un, nos hace un, un factor de riesgo para diabetes, nuestra, di, nuestro estilo de vida es, tiende a ser sedentario y no es parte de nuestra mentalidad como latinos en general y esto ha cambiado en los últimos años sobre hacer actividad física, sobre ir a hacer ejercicio para prevenir una enfermedad, lo hacemos más por, por recreación, eh, entonces eso, eso es importante que lo tengamos presente y la otra parte es cómo prevenirlo y creo que lo más importante es educar. Sin educación no vamos a poder 
cambiar la dirección en la que está yendo la diabetes, lastimosamente da las, la, parece que la diabetes solo va incrementando y la educación, escoger comidas saludables, evitar las comidas que no son saludables, eh, actividad física, eh, son medidas importantes para, para poder lograr prevenir diabetes. Yeah, I agree. I think education and really addressing the aspects of the lifestyle that might increase the risk of diabetes is important, uh, especially in those who might have a family history or have other risk factors for diabetes. You know, we've talked a lot about aspects that might increase the risk of diabetes in Latin American countries. Are there some countries where we might actually learn from perhaps the relatively healthier lifestyles or countries that might have lower prevalence? of diabetes in Latin America? I don't have good data on hand to really tell as, as an example because it's it's still a problem very prevalent uh, in all the region. But there's been some interventions that have been attempted or, or, or done by by governments in, in in some countries. For instance, the, there are some countries that have increased taxes on sugar, sweet beverages, and have put some labels on, on on some of the packing of the of the food to make people more aware that these are foods high in carbohydrates or not healthy food. Also, the way the the marketing there there was a lot of unrestricted marketing to children with high carbohydrate containing and sweets and uh, candies and that was not helping the the, the problem the the good food environment also has been modified in, in some areas in some countries where there is some more restriction to do sodas and soft drinks and processed food so those are things that have been done although it is hard really to quantify the effect of that in those interventions but I think that those are, are good initiatives from some governments I think Mexico has some plans in place. Colombia, Chile has some plans in place. Same with Peru. And I think Panama also has some. So there are some success with those, but hard again to quantify. Para, para responder en español, es difícil saber. Eh, hay, hay países que tienen menores prevalencia, pero so, a veces es difícil saber eh, si es solo la prevalencia por problemas con cómo están lo, los datos o hay un éxito. En mi conocimiento no, no estoy muy claro. Entonces eh, sí sé que hay muchos países que han implementado, por ejemplo, impuestos a las bebidas azucaradas, han puesto rótulos en, lo, en, los, en las comidas para alertar a la población de comidas que no son saludables o, o que pueden la salud. También se han hecho eh, tratar de reducir las propagandas o marketing a los niños sobre bebidas o sobre productos altos en, en carbohidratos y azúcares. Y el, en las escuelas, por ejemplo, en algunos gobiernos han tratado de limitar la exposición a jugos, sodas e, y, y, y productos procesados. Entonces hay, ha habido ciertos progresos en ciertos países y algunos ejemplos, si no me equivoco, sé que eh, Panamá ha hecho algunos, Colombia, Venezuela, eh, bueno, México, Chile, me parece también que ha hecho algunas, modific ha hecho modificaciones. Entonces, eh, se han hecho modificaciones, pero es difícil cuantificar el éxito de, de estas intervenciones. It's great to hear about these programs that have been successful. I think taxing sugar sweetened beverages here in the United States has had mixed success in its ability to really change people's behavior. And that might have to do with population that we're targeting and what people have gotten used to in terms of their habits. But I think that overall, having these kinds of interventions that address the specific needs of the population can be really effective. So that's really great to hear that they've met with, it sounds like, good success for the most part in many parts of Latin America. 
you know, when we talk about Hispanics now, just moving back to Hispanics in the United States, those who are of Latin American descent and now are living in the United States, when we think about those who have recently migrated or come to the U.S., many may have differing degrees of acculturation in terms of how much they embrace Western lifestyle behaviors versus retain their own lifestyle behaviors from their Latin American countries. How important do you think that is as we think about diabetes among Hispanics in the United States? And what do you think we could do better in terms of addressing the needs of this population? You know, in, in general, coming to uh, different countries is always a stressful event and it's difficult to adapt and not infrequently comes with mental problems, meaning depression or anxiety, uh, uncertainty about future or stability. So that's one of the, I think, risk factors that start to create a stressful scenario that predisposed to behavior, to eating, abnormal eating behaviors. And as opposed to many countries in the U.S., we have plenty of resources, meaning that there's abundance of, of access to food that sometimes many patients many many patients or people that comes from countries they have limited ability to obtain food and they come and now there's all this food available that they can obtain so so it's a big change for for many many people and then it's harder for at the beginning and if depending on the situation of each of the immigrants if it's legal or illegal access to healthcare very hard to get access to healthcare once they come into the U.S. or for those that are descendant of immigrants, let's say their parents or immigrants are legal or illegal, that branches their situation, their background where they're born. So access to healthcare and then the family dynamic, the education, whether what kind of food choices they make and how are they raised, that's of course. And we haven't even talked about the genetics aspect, but there are some genetic aspects related to the community that may predispose to higher prevalence of diabetes. Those are important things to to consider. And the question is, what can we do to prevent that? I think it it also comes down to education and healthcare too. How can we make it more accessible? And there are some programs that try to offer health. The other problem is that whether the patients are aware of these programs, are they available? So many have come across many patients that they don't even know. And the language is a barrier, particularly when they immigrate from very low low education. They, They don't express themselves even well in Spanish. And now they come to an English-speaking country. So, so that's a difficult scenario. Hay dificultad para adaptarse, hay veces depresión y eso lleva a comportamientos a comer o no cuidar la salud. También eso lleva también que como uno es migrante, la salud no es más difícil el acceso a la salud y es costoso. Entonces eso genera un factor de riesgo además de la parte genética. Los latinos también tienen cierta predisposición genética y eso hace que, que sea un poco más difícil. También el idioma es una barrera importante y, y pues tenemos que ver cómo cómo llevarles a estas personas eh, o decirles están existen programas o, o existen lugares donde pueden llegar a, a, a pedir ayuda. You've really hit upon some important issues, I think, for the Hispanic population in the United States and perhaps even immigrants to the United States in general in terms of health literacy, access to resources, having health insurance coverage, and then even the ability to communicate in a language that is not a native language. And I think that the point you bring up about not being aware of programs that are out there is a big one because the programs can't help 
help the populations they're designed to help unless people know about them. And I know for us as healthcare providers, it's important that we tell our patients about them, but also for people with diabetes to learn about these programs, sometimes it can be hard to navigate the various resources out there. Just in closing, I wonder if you could share with us, what do you tell your patients who might be Hispanic or from Latin American populations regarding having a diagnosis of diabetes, the risk of complications, and what they can do to really live a long, healthy life with this disease? What do you tell them? I usually tell patients that, first of all, that they have a lot of power in their disease. Most of patients that are not, let's say, not insulin dependent can do tremendous progress in their in their diabetes control just by modifying some of their habits or dietary choices. And sometimes they are worried about cost of medication. Sometimes they're worried about whether and I be able to afford this medication, but simple measures that are non-expensive can lead to really great impact on their diabetes control. So when they hear that, they realize that, yeah, actually I can do something and that empowers them to take control over at least part of the disease. And I tell them, I can help, try to help and try to help you navigate to get the medications or to get the right medications. And I think that as a team, we could do lots of things. And I tell the same that if you keep checking your blood sugar, that will give me information. Once the patient understands the, the importance of that they can play a role in, in this, they are happier and they tend to be more successful when, that when they believe that everything comes from just a medication that the doctor prescribed. So I, I think that going back to, to what can we do, I think that education to prevent and engaging the patients and trying to explain them that they have some ability to help their disease and that we are here to help them. I think that at least, uh, I think it's a good start to prevent or to avoid most of the complication from diabetes that could be really devastating. En español, también les digo a los pacientes que, que pues al final la educación, eh, que, que, que lean que lo, más, lo más que puedan, que, que estén dispuestos a colaborar con sus cambios en la dieta y en su estilo de vida, pueden tener un impacto tremendo y, y prevenir las complicaciones de esta enfermedad que pueden ser muy devastadoras. Thank you so much, Dr. Chen Cardenas, for being with us today for the special World Diabetes Day podcast for our first ever bilingual podcast in both English and Spanish. I know that it will be widely appreciated by people from many different backgrounds that are listening with us today and specifically sharing your insights on diabetes in Latin America, especially having practiced in Panama yourself. We truly, truly appreciate your time today. So thank you for being with us. Thank you so much, Dr. Kelly, and I really enjoyed talking to you about this major issue in our population. Thank you. I'm Dr. Rita Kalyani, and you've been listening to Diabetes Deconstructed. We developed this podcast as a companion to our patient guide to diabetes website. Our vision is to provide a trusted and reliable resource based on the latest evidence that people affected by diabetes can use to live healthier lives. For more information, visit hopkinsdiabetesinfo.org. We love to hear from our listeners. The email address is hopkinsdiabetesinfo at jhmi.edu. Thanks for listening. Be well and see you next time.